All right, we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, you know what this means. Everybody look up here. What does that mean? That means I ignored the low ink warning on my printer. So I had to email my lesson to myself. And now I'm going to have to read it off this electronic device in my notes instead of uh, off of paper. I'll do that from time to time, just like some of you ignore the low fuel warning on your vehicles when you run out of gas. All right, 2 Kings chapter 5, we left off at verse 19, finishing verse 19 last week. And though Naaman and his king, the king of Syria, had offered Elisha gold and silver and clothing in exchange for Naaman being healed of his leprosy, Elisha refused all of those gifts. Give them to somebody else. I don't need them. By the grace of God, Naaman overcame his initial unbelief in the words Elisha spoke to him. If you remember what Naaman's first response was, he said, why should I wash in the Jordan River? We have better rivers in Syria. But he overcame that unbelief, and he washed in the Jordan seven times, just as the man of God, Elisha, told him to. And so he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then he returned to give thanks to Elisha, But during that time, he asked for an indulgence, and we studied that last week. So if you missed the lesson, I encourage you to go back as we talked quite a bit about the indulgences and how unscriptural they are. But the last part of verse 19, 2 Kings 5 verse 19 says, So he departed from him a little way. Now Naaman has left Elisha's presence. After being told, go in peace, and he's gone from Elisha a little way. I don't know how far that is, but it's far enough so that Elisha can neither see nor hear what's about to take place in the next few verses. I wish this were the end of the story, but it's not. And Satan never misses an opportunity to throw his fiery darts. So let's look at verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master, he's speaking of Elisha, hath spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, was introduced to us back in chapter 4 when we studied about the Shunammite woman, that faithful Shunammite woman. And when her child died, she came to where Elisha was on a mountain and caught him by the feet. And it was Gehazi who thrust her away, but he was rebuked by Elisha. Just like Jesus' disciples thrust the children away when they came to Jesus. And he said, "Suffer or forbid them not, but suffer them to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. 
And he taught a great lesson about faith to his disciples. It was Gehazi who laid Elisha's staff on the face of that dead child. But the child did not come to life. And now Gehazi has shown himself to be a corrupt servant. What a shame. The text in verse 20 says, in the middle where Gehazi says, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian. That is, he refrained himself. He kept back from taking any of the gifts that, uh, that Naaman had offered. And so now we see greed begin to cloud Gehazi's reasoning. And rather than observing all of this and seeing the spiritual application of grace, Gehazi got carnal and decided to make money off of this occasion, off of Naaman's healing. In Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 17 through 20, Ephesians 4, 17 through 20, listen to what the Apostle Paul said to that church. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now listen to this. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. Paul drew a distinction between the Ephesian Gentiles. They were Gentiles in the flesh. He drew a distinction between the Ephesian Gentile Christians and other Gentiles who were not Christians. And he said those other Gentiles, one of the things they do is they give themselves over or they have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. To work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, what was Gehazi doing here? He was greedy, wasn't he? So, in that Ephesian text, uncleanness with greediness were the works done by the spiritually blind people, Gentiles in this case, who had given themselves over to lasciviousness. That's what that works. Lasciviousness becomes uncleanness and greediness. And there's no grace in lasciviousness. Those two are opposed to each other. They're contrary. They can't stand together. In the fourth verse of the book of Jude, it's just one chapter, Jude says this in his letter. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word turning there in that verse means changed or removed. Or if you use the gerund, it's changing or removing. Listen to how the Apostle Paul uses the same Greek word for turning that I read you from Jude in another place. But it's translated as the word removed. Galatians 1 verses 6 through 7. Galatians 1, 6 through 7. He wrote, I marvel that ye are so soon removed or turned from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now putting all of these New Testament verses together with our text in 2 Kings, we learn a little bit more about what Gehazi was doing. Elisha cleansing Naaman of his leprosy. And of course we know it was God doing it, but he used Elisha. Elisha cleansing Naaman of his leprosy represented God's cleansing of the sinner through the gospel. And we learned that. Elisha received nothing for doing this because what he did was motivated by grace. It could not be purchased with money. And I believe that's why he sent Naaman away and said, I don't need any of that. You go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be clean. You don't need to bring me money or clothing or anything else. I think that was the implication. When Jesus laid down his life for sinners, shedding his own pure blood, that was motivated by grace, not greed, not lasciviousness. For our cleansing, this our plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's a worthy song to be sung because it reflects what the scriptures tell us about grace. Nobody may charge us anything for the application of Jesus' blood to our sin because that debt was paid. And it's by grace through faith in what God's word says about the gospel of his dear son that we're made clean. Imagine this. Imagine that a sinner heard the gospel, believed on the finished work of Jesus Christ and was saved. And that new Christian was so overjoyed that he even offered money to the pastor. But the pastor said, no, this was a free gift from God. So that new Christian goes in peace a little way out here in the parking lot, away from the pastor. But some crooked deacon comes up to him after he leaves, plans to take that money that he was going to give to the pastor. You might ask, does that kind of thing really happen? It certainly does. In fact, I'll read you one of the many places it happened. In Mike, this was in Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Now listen to this admonition. Hear this, I pray you, 
ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel that abhor, that means they hate, judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward. And the priests thereof teach for hire. And the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field. And Jerusalem shall become heaps. And the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. Now that word divine in there, it said the prophets divine for money. That word divine is also soothsaying. It's associated with witchcraft. In Ezekiel 22 verse 28. Ezekiel 22 verse 28. It says this about the prophets of Israel. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. In other words, these prophets were telling people lies. They were saying, God said for you to do this. God told me to do this. And God had not spoken. Diviners charge money. Now, we're still learning about Gehazi here. Diviners charge money for telling lies by saying God had thus spoken when he had not. A preacher of grace would never charge money for a person to be saved. Otherwise, that preacher is no preacher of grace. He doesn't understand grace. But instead, he works uncleanness through greediness, which springs from lasciviousness, what we read about a few moments ago. And Gehazi's plan to take money for a finished work that had already been applied to Naaman was an act of lasciviousness. That's why he waited until Naaman had gone a little way from Elisha. Elisha wouldn't have put up with that. You know why? Because lasciviousness cannot remain in the presence of grace. Grace will drive it out. Grace says, no, I don't, I'm not taking money for that. Now, of course, there will be those who say, well, that, that means pastor's not supposed to be paid. That's not at all what it means. We've already talked about that. This has to do with being cleansed. What is the price? Well, the price has already been paid. We receive it by faith. Now, in our text, back to 2 Kings chapter 5, let's look at Verse 21, so Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? Gehazi followed, that is, he pursued him, and he did it for one reason. Gehazi was not trying to have fellowship with Naaman about what God had done for him, but rather to profit off of Naaman to receive payment for a work 
that he had nothing to do with. Gehazi was an opportunist. It says that when Naaman saw Gehazi, he lighted down or cast himself down from his chariot. In other words, he got down off the chariot. He stopped, he got down out of the chariot. Now this was quite a respectful thing to do considering Naaman was the captain of the host of all of the Syrian army. He didn't have to get down off a chariot. But remember, Naaman was a new man and a Christian, I believe. Before, he probably would have had one of his soldiers stop Gehazi way off and say, hey, get out of here. This is, you can't get anywhere near the captain's chariot. That's a secured area. Go on. But Naaman now, as opposed to before his cleansing, is not so full of himself anymore, is he? He knows who he really is. He knows that he is this, a recipient of the grace of God. And that's what I am, and that's what you are if you're saved. If I were standing in the choir loft after Sunday school or church. Let's put me on the third row, the loftiest place in here, in the loft. And somebody approached the bottom of the steps down here and, and asked to see me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, Brother Doug, would you handle that for me? I'm, on, I'm in the loft. I can't possibly be expected to come all the way down here and speak to this person. But you know why I wouldn't do that? Because I'm nothing more than a recipient of grace. I'd light down off that choir loft and meet that person face to face and talk to them. Sometimes the things people say to us aren't worthy to be repeated. Thankfully, I think those, the people who would do that are gone. But some things are very shallow and some things are very spiritual. I don't know what somebody might say to me, but just like Naaman, I have an obligation to remember who I am. I'm a recipient of grace and I owe that person my attention, even for a few moments if I can. God help me never to be that way. I've been around some religious leaders and performers who were too big for their britches. At work, I make every effort to greet the people whom I see in a store, in a restaurant, or anywhere else my duties take me. If you don't know, I'm a law enforcement officer, just like Brother Fulton. We have different, we work for different employers. And I wear a uniform and a cowboy hat and a gun and badge and all kinds of stuff on me. I almost have to have a 40-inch waist to carry all that stuff they give us. But that being said, it doesn't matter what the people look like, who they are, and that I have a badge and a gun and all this authority vested in me, I'm still nothing more than a recipient of God's grace. And I'm nothing more than a public servant. Now, that's a, a mighty calling, but that's what I am, a public servant. That doesn't mean I do everything everybody wants me to do. It means that my job is to serve the public, specifically public safety. And just because this person over here just got out of prison 
or this person over here appears to be a little bit off maybe, or this person over here is just a small, dirty little child. I'm just a recipient of grace. I say hi to this one just like I do this one and just like I do this one over here because that is my duty. When it's safe to do so, I try to end a traffic stop or a crash investigation or a call for service with a handshake or a fist bump or maybe just some encouraging words. It's not always safe and it's not always practical to do that, but sometimes it is. And as a teacher and associate pastor, I want to be the same way. And as Christians, you and I are never too good to greet or encourage or witness and share God's truth with people from all walks of life. And I'll tell you, I'm thankful to be at a church where when somebody comes in that door we've never seen or a visitor or even members, somebody's back there talking to them before the hat drops. We have a very welcoming church, and I'm thankful that God's been gracious to us that way. But if you're kind of stuck on self a little bit, be his name and get yourself down out of the chariot and speak to the Gehazis of this world. So when he got down out of the chariot, what was the question he asked Elisha, or asked uh, Gehazi? He said, is all well? Is all, those are in italics, meaning the word there is just well, but it's in the form of a question. It's the word shalom, which is peace or well. Elisha had told Naaman, go in peace, shalom. Now Naaman asked Gehazi, is all peaceful? Is all well? For Gehazi to run after Naaman after Elisha had already told Naaman to go in peace, must have been a little confusing to Naaman. Thus, the question is all well. Am I missing something? Did, did I forget to do something or say something? Look in verse 22. In this verse, we're going to see Gehazi tell three lies. And I'll read the whole verse and then we'll pick it apart. And he said, all is well. There's lie number one. My master has sent me, there's lie number two, saying, there's lie number three. Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Gehazi told Naaman, my boss said that. He sent me here to tell you all that. And no, everything's fine. <laughs> Three lies. In Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 22, Mark 7, 21 through 22, Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, there's that word again, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Notice in that verse, lasciviousness and deceit are right next to each other. Gehazi 
was motivated by lasciviousness. Therefore, he lied. It just went hand in glove. On the other hand, a man who is motivated by grace will not lie. Now, does that mean once somebody becomes a Christian, they never lie again? No. We live in this flesh. But if you do or when you do, you're not motivated by grace. I can tell you that. You're motivated by something else. Probably lasciviousness. But there are other reasons people lie. The first of the three lies Gehazi told when he said, All is well or all is peace set the tone for the rest of the lies. It was not well with Gehazi. Or he would not have come running after Naaman's silver and gold and raiment, which is clothing. All was not well with Gehazi, or these evil thoughts would not have entered into and remained in Gehazi's mind. The rest of it printed. When an evil thought enters your mind, just remember the grace of God and dwell upon the grace of God, and that way the evil thought doesn't become an evil deed. Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Romans chapter 2 verse 4, where Paul is scolding these unrighteous judges, these hypocrites, he says, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, knowing not that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Goodness is the kindness of God. And it's an expression of his grace. And it should have led Gehazi to repent of his evil thought. That's what it does for us. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. The goodness of God never leads us to lasciviousness. God is good whether we repent or are lascivious, but his goodness doesn't lead us to be anything but repentant. The second lie Gehazi told to Naaman was, my master hath sent me. Gehazi was being a weasel just about now, wasn't he? If he was going to sin, at least have the guts to just fly solo. Don't drag another person into it. Especially one whom God had used to cleanse a man from his leprosy. It was especially despicable because Gehazi took no responsibility for his own evil thoughts. And actions. He said, my master has sent me. He laid the blame on his master for him even being there. He said, all is well, meaning I'm fine, when he was not. But my master sent me here. As though he would not have come to Naaman at all if it weren't for Elisha sending him. The third lie Gehazi told Naaman was, my master has sent me saying, saying, not only was, not, was all not well, not only had Elisha not sent Gehazi to Naaman, but thirdly, Elisha had not told Naaman 
or Gehazi any such story as this. What a whopper. All that was made up. You know, God gives great authority to his servants. First in salvation, as we see in John chapter 1, verse 12, the word authority and the word power are often used interchangeably in the New Testament translation. The word power doesn't always mean authority, but this particular Greek word, exousia, is translated as power and as authority. So it's interchangeable in this verse. And he wrote in John 1.12, But as many as received him, that is to receive Jesus, to them gave he power or authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So there is an authorization granted to you who believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ for your salvation. There is an authorization given to you a power given to you to become the sons of God. When you believe on Jesus, you are a child of God. There's not some other process you have to go through. There's not some spiritual Gehazi running after you saying, oh, okay, well, now we know you believed in the finished work of Jesus, and that's good, but you got to go back here and get wet, and then you've got to try to obey and hang on. There's not any of that. In any church, any religious body that teaches that or has that as their doctrine is a Gehazi, if you want to look at it that way. But secondly, God gives great authority to his preachers. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 18. And boy, I'll tell you, this grates on people's nerves in this country. And right now, after the several Supreme Court decisions, you're seeing, boy, the devil, uh, the mask has come off, the fangs and the claws are out with these people, and you're seeing maybe people that you didn't realize felt the way they felt. I, I know of one uh, dear brother who said even in his own family the, the division has come up, and perhaps in yours as well. But listen to what authority God vests in his preachers. 1 Corinthians 9.18, Paul wrote, What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power or authority in the gospel. So that verse tells us, it implies to us that Paul had power. He had authority in the gospel, preaching the gospel. And he knew that if he charged for the gospel of Christ, that he would be abusing his authority. And because of that vested power, that authority, God's people, and especially his preachers, have a tremendous responsibility. If somebody in this church were to get upset with me and say, well, I'll just go start a rumor about Brother Andy. And let's say this discontented person said to someone else, Brother Andy said that we could lose our salvation if we commit a certain sin. There are people who might believe that I said that. It would cause them to maybe fret about going to hell and make them wonder if the Bible's really true. Some of them might say, well, Brother Andy is no brother at all. He's a hypocrite. He's a false teacher. And much damage could be done by telling that lie, because I've never told anyone that. Not here, 
not at any church, not in my life. So to really understand the gravity of Gehazi's lies, we have to understand the damage he's doing to all of those in Naaman's host who heard him say, my master has sent me saying. Gehazi's lies also tell us how little he really thinks of Elisha and even of the Lord. It would still have been wrong, but maybe less harmful, if Gehazi would have just told Naaman the lie without involving Elisha's name and reputation. Look at what Gehazi said that Elisha had said. Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Gehazi appealed to Naaman's spiritual man by implying that there are two sons of the prophets who need silver and clothes. They need money and something to wear. That's how Satan does it today. In the name of some religious cause, people try to get your money. They stand in an intersection and put a sticker on the side of a bucket and dress up in a tie in the hot weather and make you think, boy, now they must really be serious about serving God. And so you go by and roll your window down and you drop your money in and clog up traffic behind you. Have no idea where your money's going. What if your money is going to, to support someone who's preaching a false gospel or somebody who's on dope? That's how you appeal to a lot of people. Or maybe they try to catch you on the way out of Walmart with their high-pressure solicitation for money. That drives me up the wall. And I'm sorry if you had Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts who set little tents up there and shove those cookies out there in front of me. I'm not eating them. They're not as good as they used to be, and they're not good for me. All right, I'm done with that. But the funny thing is, back to these folks who are using the name of religion or some religious cause, the funny thing is that I never see those people handing out gospel tracts telling of the free gift of salvation. So I never give them any money. All the money I give to any spiritual effort is done in this offering plate right here. And it's because I know the ministries to which I give are grounded in truth and grace, not in lies and greed. And there may be other ministries, I suspect there are, that are good, solid ministries, but I know these are. We do what we call vetting, or it's a type of background, it's a screening, gatekeeping, whatever word appeals to you. When missionaries call or when they come by, or people from other religious organizations appeal to the church for support. And our background investigation doesn't take very long. We're not interested in what your degree is in, how many kids and wife you have, how long you've been in the ministry, any of that. What we want to know right off the bat is what do you believe about the gospel and how a person is saved. And sadly, most of them fail question one. There's no use going to question two. None of the other things matter. Yes, they want the financial support, but really, they're no better than Gehazi 
because they too are speaking lies. They're just a little more sophisticated. If you go to the average independent fundamental Baptist church, so-called, I say so-called because so many of them ignore the fundamental of the faith, the real fundamental of the faith, the gospel of Jesus. You go to one of those places, you get up there and start, and of course you have to look very sharp like I do this morning, and you've got to have your hair cut short and sound a certain way and get the holy bob going and all of that and learn how to point your finger, stomp your feet, and run around the auditorium. You can get people worked up, and man, you can get the offering plates full, full without teaching them a bit of good doctrine just by appealing to their emotions, saying things that sound good, saying things that they believe, whether they're true or not. You're no better than Gehazi if that's what you preach. And we don't want to support the Gehazis of this world, do we? Gehazi said, Naaman, Elisha wants you to give those two prophets silver and clothes. I wonder why Naaman didn't say, maybe you wonder this too, wait a minute. Elisha wouldn't take money and clothes from me. Why would he suddenly tell you to come find me to get money and clothing for two prophets who I never even met? Well, I'll tell you why I think he said it. He was a new Christian. And although Naaman had great military discernment and wisdom, he was a baby Christian. He was ripe for the picking by the devil. And when we have somebody who is a new Christian, whether it's someone who comes in here or comes through the website or Facebook or however we have been able, by the grace of God, to to get the gospel of them. Some of those people have doctorate degrees. Many of them are intelligent and highly successful in their fields. The people who we've witnessed to in Africa are very intelligent. But many of them were either unsaved or were baby Christians. So when they become Christians, we can't make the assumption that they have all the discernment and wisdom they need. In their secular life, they're at the top of their game. As Christians, they're saved, but they're not mature. They're on milk. They're not on strong meat. And people like Gehazi take advantage of people like that who are still on milk. When we teach new Christians, we want to build them up in the faith. That's what we're doing this morning. Sunday by Sunday, Wednesday by Wednesday. And hopefully in your own Bible study at home, which if you're not doing, you're, you're missing out. You have a lot of voids and vacancies in your life if you don't study the Word of God on your own. You'll never be as mature spiritually as you could be if you did. But we want those new Christians to have the wisdom that the pastor's been teaching about on Wednesday nights in Proverbs. And with that wisdom... They'll be able to tell right from wrong. They'll be able to stay in the chariot like Naaman should have and say, Hey, that's not happening. That cleansing was a free gift from God. The prophet said, He doesn't need my money and clothing. Now you hurry on out of here before I do something untoward to you. They'll be able to ask those questions Naaman didn't ask 
so they don't fall into a trap or get taken advantage of. I'm going to give you a little bit of help here when it comes to giving your money to spiritual causes. I've told you where mine goes. It goes right down there. When the Gideons come, we graciously allow them to worship with us, but we don't send our money with them. We don't want to divert our resources away from this church, from the ministries God's established here, to somewhere else, and we're not even sure what those ministries might be. Now let's see how Naaman handles this request for the silver and the clothing. Verse 23. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. Now that would be the amount of silver. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bear them before him. So to the request for one talent of silver that Gehazi made, Naaman said, here, take two. I mean, what was this silver to Naaman other than something he was already going to give away? And in this matter right here, Naaman, the new Christian, showed more spiritual maturity than Gehazi, who had been hanging out with Elisha. Naaman could have said, no way, Gehazi, that silver is going back to Syria with me. The greedy one here was Gehazi, not Naaman. Verse 24, and when he came to the tower, that is when Gehazi came to the tower, uh, that word tower is just a hill. It's not a big building, it's a hill. He took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. This hill or this tower was the location to which Gehazi and the servants of Naaman met, and those gifts were received by Gehazi. It said he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house. Another translation reads this way. He took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. The implication is that he hid this silver and clothing in the house. He did not give it to the sons of the prophets because they were never coming to Samaria in the first place. Verse 25, but he went in, that is, Gehazi went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. But he went in and stood before his master. This tells us that he hid the silver and clothing in another part of the house. And when it says he went in, it means Gehazi was outside the place where Elisha was before then. He dared not bring that silver and that clothing into Elisha's presence. So Elisha says, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? The two words, comest thou, are in italics. They were supplied by the translators. So the words that are left from the original language are, Whence, Gehazi? Those were the actual words, well, the translations of the actual words in the Hebrew text. Whence can indicate time or place. In fact, that same Hebrew word is translated as whither and where in other places in the Old Testament. In fact, several other translations read this way. Where have you been, Gehazi? Now, don't raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you heard those 
fateful words from your parents when you got home too late. And what you said after that may have been true, or it may have been a lie. I suspect in many cases it was a lie. Like what Gehazi was about to tell. Did you ever feel like your parents already knew the truth? They already knew the answer to their own question? Adam did. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Genesis 3, 9 through 10. Now this is after Adam and Eve sinned. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. <laughs> At least Adam didn't make up a whopper. And when God said, Where are you? He already knew the answer. God sees everything, and he knows everything. He wasn't asking to be informed. Gehazi's answer as we close was, Thy servant went no whither. In other words, I didn't go anywhere. Now, I never thought to try that one on my parents. To be absent for hours on end, way past supper time, and then tell my mom when she says, where have you been? Why, mom, I didn't go anywhere. I never thought to try that one. I wonder what she would have thought. Maybe she would have questioned her own sanity or gone to the eye doctor to have her eyes checked. Can you imagine if Adam had told God, why, I, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm right here. Gehazi, Gehazi didn't invent a long, complicated lie on this one like he did with Naaman. He just told a simple, bald-faced lie. He said, I didn't go anywhere. And we'll look at the interrogation next week as we pick up with verse 26. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these vital truths it teaches us that we may know how to live and to have a good testimony before others in our Christian walk. Father, we thank you for each person who was attentive this morning, both those in the auditorium, those online, those who will watch later, and pray that you would bless this word to us. Help us not to forget its precepts, that we may be edified and grow thereby. In Jesus' name, amen.